I'm going to go to a couple of places. I'm going to talk about two kings, um, two kings in the Old Testament. And I'm going to talk about the nature and the character of God, how he longs uh, to do us good. I believe in the goodness of God. I believe he's inherently good. Everything good in my life is not because I did it all, I got it all right. I did everything good in our lives is because in essence, he's a, the song says he's the goodness of God and, and he's a good, good father. So I want you to turn with me for a few moments. Um, heard about a guy who said another man was trying to sell him a casket coffin. He told him, he said, that's the last thing I need. The dad joke, right? <laughs> My daughter laughed and it was so silly. She laughed and, you know, I heard somebody say one time we need to get a bumper sticker. Can you imagine the trauma of an atheist that's following you and you sit at a green light that the bumper sticker says honk if you love Jesus. And you just sit at the green light. Can you imagine the controversy? <laughs> so I had the privilege this week, the first young man that I counsel with, I counsel every Tuesday at Turning Point. So good to have Josh, the administrator. He's such a great, his mom. We've been connected for 23 years at Turning Point. And they get to come on Wednesday night when we have, sometimes we'll have 40 people here on Wednesday night. Others, not so much, but because times have changed. But, but I, the first young man that I'm, I sat down with, I, I always know that God will open the door and, and I pray for the presence of God and God to give me the words to say that I need to say, but help me to stay silent when I don't need to speak. That's the part that I want to get right. Don't let me say something just because I need to say something. Let me have something to say when you want me to say it. So it's important to look at James chapter 1. We're going to start in verse, we're just going to read a couple of verses. And I want to lead you on a, on a journey for the next few moments that I believe will encourage you in this season. And I, I want to just get down to the to the ground level where each of us live. And, uh, you know, I was sharing Wednesday night that I was driving up by the soccer field there at the YMCA and it was crowded. It was packed. And, and, and there was a lady who pulled out. I had to almost, I slowed down really slow for her to back out. And uh, I was just being polite. And, and then when she got on her side of the road and finally got cleared, she's passing by me. She sticks her tongue out at me. And so I understood something about that. I didn't get, you know, I didn't turn around to go find out where she is and all that stuff. Lord, you understand that maybe she'd been trying to get out for quite some time. And maybe that was, she'd been, I don't know, maybe... I don't know what she was going through. I don't know what kind of weight she was carrying for her to, to do that. So it's, it's very important. We don't always know the background. 
But I can tell you James gives us some insight about some stuff. And I want to encourage you in verse 2. From the New King James Version first, I'm going to read it from the Passion as well. He says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. There's that word again. That word patience is perseverance. It means that you, you continue to stand, having done all to stand. He says, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. I, I just want you to think about that for a moment. Trials, the test, the struggles, perseverance, patience. One of the gifts of the Spirit in, G in Galatians chapter 5, patience. Produces perfection. Perfection brings us into inheritance. And I want to give you some examples. There's not one of us. I, I just want to tell somebody here today, you're not going to quit. You felt like it before. And you've had some stuff go on with you and you wonder why you even try sometimes. But I came to talk to somebody that's had some stuff you've been carrying that, that almost felt like throwing in the towel. And I see it so much that people become complacent and, and they find themselves in a place where they're, they're carrying this weight. And, and James, he's the half-brother of Jesus, remember? He's the one they threw off the pinnacle of the temple because he wouldn't deny Jesus and they had to beat him to death with a fuller's club. But he writes this, chat, this, this epistle and he says, he said, let, he said, when you go through a trial, count it all joy. How do you do that? Count it joy because you have to look past what you're facing. You have to look past the issues. And I'm qualified to talk about this. And, and I know that many of you are too. Because you have to look past the conflict and the obstacles and all the struggles that you go through. And you have to see that God is bringing you into perfection. He will never allow you into any place that he's not going to protect you. And he's not going to provide for you and help you to mature and grow in the goodness and the, the knowledge of the goodness of God. Romans chapter 2 verse 4. Paul writes to the young church at Rome and he says, don't be judging anybody else it's a lot going on with that now with this woke theology this woke philosophy that there's a lot of judgment Paul James said don't be judging anyone he said he starts out by saying don't judge anybody because James was uh, he, he was such, he's such, in this one little short epistle, he gives us some insight. He says, count it all joy when you go through a trial. So I've learned, you know what? It brings, it brings us into maturity where we don't respond like when somebody sticks their tongue out at us. We, we, it don't shake us. It's like water on a duck's back. Yeah, it just runs off, and 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 you don't because you can't you can't look, 
If you have the real joy of the Lord and you grow in the maturity of the Lord, it doesn't mean that we thank God for the stuff we go through, but we thank Him for His character and His nature that it never, His, He never changes. Although we're going through stuff, we give Him thanks. Paul said, in everything, in the book of Thessalonians, give thanks. In, he didn't say for everything. He said in everything. Give thanks. James takes us even deeper and shows us something that is so pivotal. And I've experienced uh, the consequences and the blessings of this principle because it always worked. And James said, count it all joy when you go through various trials. And let patience, whoa, Perseverance. Like a little boy was really rambunctious. His mom made him sit. He was running in and out the, the house and the door, slamming the doors. He said, son, sit down over there in that chair. Be still. He's sitting there. He's just can't hardly be still. He's tapping his foot. He's just, and finally he calls his mom over. He said, mom. She leans over and she says, he says, Mom, I may be sitting down on the outside, but I just want you to know I'm running all over the place on the inside. <laughs> come on, you understand life will cause you to come into a place where you have to believe. And you have to believe, number one, in who he is. You have to believe that he's a faithful father who, who takes responsibility for you. And you have to believe that he loves you with an, with an amazing kind of love. This beloved identity is so important to me because it brings us into the knowledge of how he feels about me. Have you ever thought about what God thinks about you? Have you ever thought about how does God feel about me? Well, Paul gives us some insight there too. And he says, count it all joy when you go through various trials. And, oh yeah, let patience have, we live in a microwave world. We live in a world that we wanted yesterday. And we've been programmed that way. Fast food joints and all this, you know, instant gratification and all this other stuff. Uh, but James tells us, let patience have its perfect work. There's a, there's a perfect work that patience brings when you learn how to wait. Uh, there's a scripture over in the Old Testament, Isaiah 40, 31, where he says, didn't you know I never get weary, I never get tired. This is God talking. He said, when the young men shall faint and grow weary, but they that wait upon the Lord, that word wait is so significant because it don't mean just sitting by doing nothing. That word wait, if you look it up in the Hebrew, it means to whirl around. As a matter of fact, it means to celebrate. They that celebrate on the Lord. Come on somebody, you hear me? They that worship and bless the Lord and count it all joy when you go through various trials, when you go going under pressure. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. 
So, that you may be perfect when you let patience have its perfect work. Road rage. <laughs> it can be somewhat passive or it can be extreme. I remember I was, I was working with my cousin. I had a trailer load of cabinets. It was a heavy load. And I was driving his diesel truck down the interstate. And this lady got really upset with me. And she pulls in and does, a, she, she, she does the brake light thing. Because she wants to get revenge. And I'm doing my best. I said, Lord Jesus, help her to understand that this truck won't stop like her car will. But, but do you understand that, that those things happen when people are impatient? When, when they are impatient, they're in a hurry. And it's important to know that the scripture gives us some understanding about waiting. I had to wait four years for her. I mean, it's taste after... Four years, finally she caught me, and man, I was looking, at, I was looking, flipping through the pictures. We've been working on the pictures, and I, I was flipping through the pictures, and boy, what some memories. I mean, somebody reminded me this past week that I used to call her my brick house. <laughs> Come on, it's okay. <laughs> you heard that song. Some of you heard that song, right? Yeah, I still do. She's my brick house, right? Come on. <laughs> She was, yeah, yeah, she was Miss Football and Homecoming Queen and all that other stuff. And, you know, it was like, I know her mama told her, said, He's gonna, you're going to marry him one day. And she didn't want to hear it. She didn't want to hear it. But mama knows best, right? So uh, God had it all worked out. He already had a plan. And uh, it, it's been wonderful. 47 years. It's been amazing. But, but you understand, we've been through some stuff, too. And we know that those things we go through have made us stronger in many respects. Some of it don't even shake us anymore. But, but I want to take you over to two places. First of all, I want you to go to Second Chronicles with me, chapter 33. Manasseh, I've been to Israel and those, the 12 tribes of Israel are so significant. Manasseh was the son of Hezekiah. And remember, Hezekiah restored Israel back to worship after Ahab had led them into idolatry. And, and God brought revival to Israel. So in Verse 9 of chapter 33, 2 Chronicles, it says, So Manasseh seduced Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. We're seeing America on the decline. If, if, we, if my people will, will pray, seek my face and turn from their wicked way, I'll hear from heaven and I'll forgive their sin and I'll heal their land. I believe that God can bring us to revival. But it says, he said that, notice it said, 
They did more evil than the nations that the Lord destroyed before the children of Israel. And the Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they would not listen. I never want to be where, in a place where I can't hear the voice of the Lord. I can't follow his direction. I want to tell somebody you're not going to quit. I believe the Lord sent me to tell somebody you're not going to quit. But you're going to let, you're going to count it joy. God's going to show you how because your inheritance is on the other side of whatever you're going through. So it says, the Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they would not listen. Therefore, the Lord brought upon them the captains of the army, the king of Assyria, who took Manasseh with hooks, bound him with bronze fetters and carried him off to Babylon. Sounds like Nebuchadnezzar. Now, when he was in affliction, notice what happens to Manasseh. Something his father instilled in him came up. And it said, now when he was in affliction, he implored the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers and prayed to him. Humble. Let me tell you, everything's opposite in the kingdom of God. If you want to go up, you got to go down. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and he will exalt you in due time. If you want to get, you got to give. Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over shall men give unto your bosom. If you want to live, you got to die. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but it's not me living. It's Christ living in me and the life I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God. That's what he believes about me. I live my life according to what he believes about me. So he sees me as the righteousness of God in him. He sees me as the beloved. Come on, somebody. He sees me as the one that he paid the ultimate price when I didn't have uh, even the ability to get myself straight and to do behavior modification. I couldn't fix myself. And so the Lord brought me into this knowledge of truth that he loves me so dearly that he refuses to leave me like he found me. So there's this beloved identity that's being unfolded into my life that's causing me to be delivered from all the trappings of self-effort. Religion says try harder. The kingdom message is stop trying so hard. I can't fix anybody and I can't fix myself. But when I humble myself under his hand, let me tell you, when we look to man to promote us, God never will. If you look to God to promote you, man has no choice. Watch. Somebody needs to know you're not going to quit. You know why? Because there's an inheritance on the way. Amen. On the other side of what you've been going through because of your patience, because of your willingness to wait on the Lord, there's perfection. And then there's inheritance. He prayed to him. He received his entreaty. He got the answer, heard his supplication and brought him back to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. Let's go one more place. Jeremiah 32. Same thing happened. Jeremiah was sent to prophesy to the king. Zedekiah, king of Judah, 
So Zedekiah, Jeremiah prophesied that you're going to be going into captivity with Babylon. So Zedekiah locked him up in the king's prison in his own palace. Put him in prison. And matter of fact, he let him down in the sewer up to his armpits because he was so angry that Jeremiah told him the truth. And there's a reason. Because he loved darkness rather than light. His deeds were evil. And Jeremiah was a man of God who came to give him the way out of redemption. So the Lord of the... Uh, uh, came to Jeremiah while he's in prison and said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you buy a parcel of property before Israel goes into captivity. Boy, this will preach now. I'm going to send somebody to you and they're going to sell you, your in, they're going to give you your inheritance before it's ever taken by the Babylonians. I want to tell somebody that God's already made provision for you before you ever got to your place of trial. That's why he said, count it all joy when you face various trials. You know why? Because your inheritance is on the other side of that. Watch. He said, behold, Hanamel, the son of Shalom, your uncle will come to you saying, buy my field, which is in Anatoth. For the right of redemption is yours to buy it. He's talking to a man in prison. Then Hanamiel, my uncle's son, came to me in the court of the prison according to the word of the Lord and said to me, Please buy my field that is in Anatoth, which is the country of Benjamin, for the right of inheritance is yours and the redemption is yours, but buy it for yourself. Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. So I bought the field, verse 9. Jeremiah 32, I bought the field from Hanamel, the son of my uncle, who was in Anathoth, and weighed out to him the money, 17 shekels of silver. And I signed the deed, sealed it, took witnesses, weighed the money on the scales. So I took the purchase deed, both that was sealed according to the law and custom, which was open. I know this is a lot of reading, but it's necessary. I gave the purchase deed to Baruch, the son of Neriah, son of Ma. Uh, Messiah, in the presence of Hanamel, my uncle's son, and in the presence of the witnesses who signed the purchase deed before all the Jews who sat in the court of the prison. I don't care where you are. God knows how to get the deed to you. <sighs> so that you be perfect and entire, lacking nothing. So he says, take these deeds both, this purchase deed which is sealed and the deed which is open and put them in the earthen vessel. I don't know if we can handle this. Because Paul said in the first Corinthians chapter seven, uh, uh, in, the, in the first Corinthians five, seven, he says, for you have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of yourself put it in the earthen vessel why because that's where it'll keep come on you got something in you that the enemy's been trying to talk you out of 
you have an inheritance. The inheritance is yours. Put them in the earthen vessel that they may last many days. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, houses, fields, vineyards shall be possessed again in this land. Look at your neighbor and tell them it's, it's coming back to you again. Put this treasure, put this deed in this earthen vessel that it may last many days. And when the time is right, when everybody gets lined up and take joy in the various trials and begin to understand my nature, my character, my desire is to bring you into the fullness of all that I have planned for you from the very beginning. So put this deed in an earthen vessel. Let's see if I can find it. Okay. Verse 26. Fast forward. I got an ocean to put in the thimble. Hang with me. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, Behold, I'm the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? I tell my grandchildren, I've convinced them, all six of them. They'll say, Big Daddy, can you do this? I say, God, I can do anything. Through Christ who strengthens me. My wife even believes it. Yeah, it, it's important. Is there anything too hard for me? He talks about giving this city into the hands of the enemy. Why? Because of idolatry. Because they were not wholly following the Lord. They, he said, they, instead of turning their face toward me, they turned their back to me. And we can do that in various levels. But he said, verse 33, they have turned to me the back and not the face, though I taught them rising up early, teaching them, yet they have not listened to receive instruction. But they set their abominations in the house, which is called by my name to defile it. He's talking about idolatry, caused their children to pass through the fire of Molech. Look at verse 36, hang with me. I just came to tell somebody you're not going to quit. You, you want to give up, but you can't. He's not going to let you. Now, therefore, says the Lord, verse 36, the God of Israel concerning this city of which you, you say, it shall be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon by the sword, by the famine, and by the pestilence. Behold, I'll gather them out of all countries where I have driven them in my anger, in my fury, and in great wrath. I will bring them back to this place, and I will cause them to dwell safely. They shall be my people. I will be their God. Then I will give them one heart and one way. Guess what? One of the, uh, old, uh, the New Testament writers said, show me your ways, Lord. Show me your ways. That they may fear... John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Yeah. 
that they may fear me forever for the good of them that their children after them. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I will not turn away from doing them good. But I will put my fear. That's an excited kind of fear. It's not the kind of dread that the world and the kingdom of darkness brings. It's a, it's a reverential awe is what that fear means. He said, I'll make that everlasting. I'll, I will put my fear in their hearts so they'll not depart from me. I'll rejoice over them to do them good. And I will assuredly plant them in this land with all my heart and with all my soul. For thus says the Lord, just as I have brought all this great calamity on this people, so I will bring the, on them all the good that I have promised. Psalm 34.10. Romans 2.4. It's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. The word repentance, metanoia. It means to change the way you think. It's only in changing the way we think that we can fix the behavior. The first young man I sat with in Turning Point, he said, I want to be saved. I want to know the Lord. I said, that's why I'm here. Before it was over, I led him in the prayer. I said, all you need to do, young man, I called his name. I said, believe. Jesus said in John 17, 3, he said, Father, this is eternal life that they know you and they know me. Jesus even said in one place to the, remember what Paul said to the jailer in Acts 16 when the doors were opened and the jailer was about to kill himself and Paul said, don't do your any, yourself any harm. We're all here. And he said, what must I do to be saved? And Paul didn't lead him in a formula. He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved and your house. Believe. So I told him, I said, oh, you, uh, you've got to believe. I said, so I led him in the prayer of confession of belief. It's not a formula just to get it in his mind. Because it's a change in the way you think that changes your behavior. Repentance isn't about phase. Repentance, return to the highest state of affairs is what that word means. So, is anything too hard for me? No. Psalm 34.10, the young lions lack and suffer hunger that they that seek the Lord, but they that seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. How do I seek Him? I seek the Lord even when I'm breathing, every day. I seek the Lord because I'm always acknowledging Him. And there are moments when the Holy Spirit stirs this insight within me that begins to call on the Lord and I'll begin to pray and, and, and notice the presence of the Lord. Uh, but that I'm always in, in a moment's notice. He knows that I'm in that place. So Psalm 8411, the, the Lord God is a sun and shield. He will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly before him. 
Psalm 103, 1, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is in me, bless the Lord and forget not all his benefits. He forgives me of all my iniquities. He heals me of all my diseases. He delivers my life from destruction, crowns me with loving kindness and tender mercies, and satisfies my mouth with good things so that my youth is renewed like the eagles. Just keep living. If you haven't faced the various trials or felt the pressures, James tells us how to face it. Count it all joy. Because when you count it joy, that, that's not fickle happiness that comes when we get a new car and after the new wears off, we're not happy anymore. Happiness is fickle. Joy is not. Joy means no matter what the situation is, I'm going to be joyful because I know the character of my father. I know the nature of my father. I know how he feels about me. I know he's going to prepare a table for, for me in the presence of my enemies. Psalm 103 is a blessing to him. There's something I can do because I'm joyful and I, I choose joy. Now, he didn't stop there, Right? Matthew 7, 11, Jesus said, if you being evil know how to give good things to your children, how much more does your heavenly father know how to give good things to those who ask him? Philippians 2, 13, 1 and 6, being confident of this very thing, that he who started a good work in you will complete it till the day of Jesus. Let patience have her perfect work. Hebrews... Uh, Hebrews chapter 12, right after the roll call of the faithful. Wherefore, seeing her compassed about by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside the weight and the sin that thus so easily beset us, and let us run the race with patience. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, who for the joy that was set before him. Wait a minute. What does that mean? That means he looked and saw you. You were the joy. Who were the joy that was set before him. Endured the cross. Despising the shame. And is set down at the right hand of the Father. To do what? Hebrews 7.25. He's able to save them to the uttermost. That come to God by him. Seeing he ever lives to make intercession for me. Let me ask you. How can you fail when he's praying for you? Woo. Come on, look at your neighbor and tell them you can't quit. Yeah, come on, this is good stuff. Philippians 2.13, for it is God who works in you because he's willing. He's willing, he's willing, he's willing. And to do his good pleasure. James 1.17, a little bit further in that chapter after he says, count it all joy when you go through various trials. But let patience have her perfect work. That you may be perfect, complete. That means to be complete. And entire, wanting nothing. James 1.17, a little bit further down the chapter, last verse I'm going to give you. Every good gift. Every perfect gift. Oh. 
Every good gift. I want you to look around the room. Look at the person you're sitting next to. Do you know their gift? Their gift. Every good gift. Every perfect gift. That you may be perfect. What's the perfect gift? He just told us. The one who has counts it joy when they go through the pressures. Because we know there's an inheritance. It's just a sign. There's an inheritance on the other side. Woo. Because I will not withhold from doing good for you. Every good and perfect gift comes from above from the Father of lights. You, you do know, I've read that hundreds of times. I preached on it. I never saw it till just a few months ago. The Father of lights. He's not talking about the creator of lights. He told Nicodemus in John 3, he said, we're born from above. The Father. Didn't say creator of lights. Said the Father of lights. Guess who the lights are? Come on, it's time to flip the switch, right? Woo! Let your lights so shine. Jesus said he's the light of the world over in the book of John. Then a few chapters in Matthew 5, he says, you're the light of the world. Foss. Look at your neighbor and just tell him, go ahead and shine. Shine on, shine on, shine on. It comes from the father of lights with whom there's no variableness, neither shadow of turning. That means he is... You can be trusted. I want you to stand with me. You can trust him. If you can trust him with your future, guess what? You can trust him for the outcome. Met a young man this past week. Said, I don't believe in God. I mean, you meet all kinds. So how do you respond? And his argument was, I guess he got tired of the dinosaurs. I said, well, you have to be God to prove that God doesn't exist. Then he said, well, you have to be God to prove he does. I said, no, you don't. I said, go look in the mirror. We created in the image. Of God. So what do you do? You, you do it in love. You pray. Because Paul said, the God of this world has blinded the minds of those that are lost, lest they should come to the knowledge of the truth and be saved. So it's important for us to let our light shine. I said, I'm not here to judge you. But I'm here to help you. So I want to tell you today, beloved, Maybe you're here and you you felt the way. 